As you know, we're working in a series on the Ten Commandments, and we've come to the ninth one. We've got this one and one more to go. And so we're working on this one. It should come up here, the tenth thing. It says, no false testimony is the name of the passage that we're working on. And it's an important passage. Uh, again, I've made this point several times. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done a series on the Ten Commandments. And every time I keep going through it, I realize, oh, I forgot about that. Or, oh, I didn't think about that. And you realize it's more and more and more than you could ever understand. And I'm really thankful we've done this. And so what we're looking at right now is this whole issue of no false testimony. Let me tell you a little short story about a person that I was reading about recently that I thought was interesting because dealt with this issue about lying, about the fact what we keep, we've got to say the things that are true. It goes back to the story of a guy named Jonathan Fleming. He was from Brooklyn, New York. He and his family got an opportunity to go to where else? Disneyland. Heaven, as some people would call it. I would not call it that. I would call it expensive. But anyways, <laughs> it was a place. They had a great time. His family was together. They had such a wonderful time. They flew back, came back to where they're, they're, uh, they're in New York and landed. And all of a sudden, things seemed to go bad. What went bad was they had only been there a very short time back in their home, and someone was killed. And suddenly, there was a knock at the door saying that Jonathan was my, the person who killed this person. And he said, what are you talking about? I just came back from you know, Disneyland, and I've been with my friends and my family, and they can tell you that I didn't do anything wrong. I'm right here. And I said, oh, no, you think you did. And they said, well, is there anybody here that could see or what happened? And there was a woman who said, well, I didn't see it, but I did hear it. And the prosecutor said, so you, you heard it, but you didn't see it. Is that right? And he said, he said are you sure? that you didn't see Jonathan? She said, no, I don't think so. He said, well, I think we may have to take away your parole because you're not working with me on this one. And she said, uh, well, I really did. She says, really? So would you like to be back out in the streets or would you like to be in jail? What do you think about that? Anyways, to make a long story short, he was convicted and spent 25 years in jail. The nightmare was going on for them. This was, this is in New York, they had you know, lots of sharp people. But here's a guy who's doing well, thought life was good for him, and suddenly he's in behind bars. And it's a long story, but the prosecutor pushed the witness to say, okay, yeah, not only did I hear it, but uh, uh, I saw him, I saw him. He's the guy that killed him. And they put him behind bars. At 25 years, they went back and looked at his case and realized it was a complete shambles and that the guy knew it was wrong, but they needed to get somebody to go to prison. So they just picked him. What do you say to a person who is suddenly going to say, you know what, 25 years knowing you're innocent? Th think about that. Think about they put you in prison. And for 25 years, you know that you did not do anything wrong. You're in prison for 25 years for a crime that you never committed. And then at 25 years, they went back and looked in the files and said, this was an absolute tragedy. It never should have happened. But the man was there 25 years. And four of those doors opened up. And they said he's had a very hard time. I can understand why. A hard time getting back into the world because it's always known as prison for 25 years. One of the good things, 
uh, if there's any good thing that came out of a terrible story, he lived long enough and his mother lived long enough that he got to be with his mother for a short time, but he hasn't had found a job. Things are not good for him. And you think, what, can, what, what do you give to a person? What do you go after 25 years? What do you say to him? Like, gee, I'm sorry, I guess we messed up. Yeah, 25 years of messing up. Because a person was willing to lie. To say, well, yeah, okay, maybe I did really see him. And, and, and yeah, sure I did. I see him. And that's right. Uh, that's right. That, that, that's the person. 25 years behind the bars. And you look at that and you think how important it is that what we say is the truth. Because people's lives, people's reputations deal with this whole issue that we're talking about when we're talking about lying. This morning we're going to do, we're going to look at through some of the passage in the Old Testament where they spent a lot of time talking about how important it is in terms that justice is done for the people that are there. Now we're going to then move over a little bit quickly into the New Testament. There's more in the Old than there is in the New in terms of the issue, but it's still very helpful. And so we're talking about here about the danger of the lie and the impact it has in the lives of people. The passage that we have right up there, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, quote, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. And again, you know, it doesn't say just don't lie. It's particularly saying don't lie to your neighbor, the people that you would most normally have a relationship with, your neighbors, your friends, your family. These are the ones that most often are going to be the ones can, impacted by your actions, by your words, by your things that you say that you do. And particularly in this, when you speak, are you telling the truth? Because if it's wrong, it can have devastating impact in the lives of people. And that's why, particularly in the Old Testament one, they have very strong things about what you can and cannot do. Let me give you some examples, for example. And here's some passage out of ancient Israel. This is Psalm 21, verse 2. It comes right out of this passage. What did I say, 12? Excuse me. Thank you. 12, got it. Help, Lord, for no faithful one remains. The loyal have disappeared from the human race. They lie to one another with flattering lips and deceptive hearts. In other words, the psalmist is basically saying, listen, people need to do what's right. And he's saying, where are the people that are, are really doing what God would want them to do? Here's another passage. Come up like this. Here's a passage out of Exodus chapter 18, verse 23. You should look for able men among the people, men who fear God are trustworthy and hate dishonest, dishonesty. The point of this is so much important, saying we need really good people. We need people that really are willing to do what's right, who are not going to have somebody put some money in their pocket and say, hey, I need you to help me out. Here's a little bit of money. We need a person that we can trust. And so the Israelites were very, very strong about this. And so that's why we see so many passages in the Old Testament that deal with that. And why it is important to, again, tell the truth. Is that real? Is that what you know? And this passage is saying that's what we need. We want the best. It's like the Marine Corps. You know, we want the best we can get. And what we have in this passage is particularly in the Old Testament is saying they wanted the very best men they could get because people's lives counted on the decisions that were made by people who made these statements. 
So you have this in this passage said, you must not distort justice. You must not show partiality. In other words, well, he's my friend and really, you know, I really just need to help him out. He's, going to be, he's not going to like me if I tell him what's really true. His point is, uh-uh. You don't go by what the other person says. You go with what's true. Truth is what matters. You must not distort justice. You should not, you sh must not show dis partiality. You must not accept bribes. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. In other words, they realized people's lives were on the line. Your mouth could make life or death in other people when you dealt with the issues that we're talking about here before. Look at one more passage here. This thing, remember this? Here's a story where there's a legal one. This was not so much a bad one, but a good one. Remember Naomi and Ruth and the story? How, you know, they were gone and they came back and they got, you know, married. But right there, there at the court, I mean, there at the gate, that's where they would go. A lot of these things would take place. They would, people would meet there and they'd say, well, I'd like to take this, marry this person. Yeah, but if you do this, you get this person. Well, I don't want that person. I want this gal. Anyways, you know, that's a lovely story and they get married and they have David down that line. That's a good line. But in other words, it goes back to this whole thing. Justice righteousness, doing what is right, that what you say has an impact on the lives of others. And interesting, you know, for them and the Israelites, they had, if there's somebody has got a thing against them, a capital charge, like this person's going to be killed, you had to have two witnesses. Now, America, you don't have to have that. You just need one. But again, times have changed. I mean, we have, you know, things that we can do. We can have people look and find out things about but then for them, it's like, no, you're not going to do this unless you've got two people who said, yes, I saw that, or yes, I see that. In other words, it was important for them that you get it right. People's lives were in the line because of what you say. And so it's critical that we do that which is right. And one of the things they did for a person who says, well, I think this person did it, it's like, okay, are you going to be willing? You think this person has done something terrible, a capital charge? Are you willing to be the one that makes the throws the first stone? We're going to stone this person because you said this person did X, Y, and Z. Are you pretty sure about that? Uh-huh. Okay. So are you willing to take that first stone and take that bow and throw it to the guy, try to hit him in the head on the first shot? I'll bet there were a number of people saying, you know, on second thought, um, I'm really not clear if I understood it correctly and maybe back off a little bit. Now, it sounds pretty weird to us in our culture, but the point that they're trying to say is if you are doing, saying something that is so important or so bad that you better be very careful what you're doing because you're going to be the person, first person that's going to throw that rock. Are you willing to do that? Think about that. Would you be willing to throw that? You think, okay, I know this person. I know what they did was wrong. They, the charge is they've done X, Y, Z. That is a capital thing, and I know that's it. Okay, pick up the rock. You take the first shot at him, and the other ones will follow. That's because this is so important about what you say. Are you absolutely positive? Because we're getting ready to kill this person. Are you sure? that what he did was, or she, what they did was wrong. Because life is on the line, and it's very important.
So the Old Testament, they had all these kind of things to try to do the very best they could because they realized what people say does matter. And it makes a huge distinction in people's lives. Let's move, move from the Old Testament to the New. There's not as much in the New Testament. I'm not sure why. I guess maybe because the Old Testament, there's so much more of it. You get more of it to do that. But it's interesting here, when we go to the New Testament, there's several passages that do deal with it as we go from Old to New Testament. And it goes with this whole idea of how do you define a lie? Now think about that. Everybody knows a lie is. I lied. Okay, that's pretty easy. But there's shadows and shades of lying. Okay, we're going to be talking about that probably three different ways. And let me give you an example. Martin Luther was an interesting guy, and he wrote a thing about lying, okay, which I think is interesting. Uh, what's interesting about it, he said there's basically three types of lying. And he's not, he didn't make this, up, make this up himself. This, by the way, came from St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers. But he liked what Augustine wrote, and he did this. He said, okay, there's like three kinds of lying. Now, this might sound a little weird to you. Stay with me. Okay, Martin Luther said, okay, the first thing is the humorous lie. In other words, it's saying, you're saying something that's actually funny, that when you hear it, you know, like, well, I mean, it's a lie only in the sense in that it's not true. For example, the rabbi and the priest go into the bar, and they meet a guy. Well, immediately, at least all the adults are going, okay, I got it. This is going to be a joke, right? Yeah, it is a joke. Okay, so number one is easy. That's the humorous. In other words, they're not trying to deceive anybody. You know, from the very beginning, saying it's just a story. It's just a joke. You get it? You know, they're not expecting you to do anything about it. It's a story. Number two is the very interesting one. This is the helpful one. Helpfully not ourselves, but helping others. We'll come back to that in just a moment. The third one is the harmful one. Now, stay with me with this one, because it's a very interesting thing. By the way, I have a little caveat. There are other people during that era of Martin Luther and later who would look at it and go, yeah, sort of, but we think we're better the way we did it. Who knows? But at least this gives us an idea of how to understand what's going on. And so let me give you an example. The helpful lie, this is quite, the second class is the helpful lie. It's told for the benefit of one's neighbor. Now think about that. The whole passage is telling you about don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, and then it's saying maybe there are times that we should lie, not for our sake, but for the sake of others. Think for a moment. Can you think of a case that comes up like that? How many of you read the story about, uh, what's her name, Cory Ten Boom? Remember the story of her family? The Nazis came to their house and said, do you have any Jews in there? And what did the family say? They looked him right in the eye and said, no, we don't have any Jews in the house. Were they lying when they did that? Were they lying when they said that? Yeah, they were lying. Should they have been lying? You better believe it they should have been lying because you're dealing here with evil. You're not saying, here's grandma who's a wonderful person. We're talking about the Nazis. And so it's saying, okay, is this a lie? Yeah, it's a lie, but we didn't do this for ourselves. We're doing it to save the life of these people, these Jewish people and these other people who were underground people who were out there in the false place over in the Dale. And he's saying, do you get that? He's saying the second class is the helpful lie. It's told for the benefit of another, for the neighbor, not for ourselves. Corey Ten Boom is a good example. Another story you could think about, going back to the Old Testament, the story of Rahab. 
Remember Joshua in chapter 2 sent the two uh, spies out? And they said, you know, can you help us? Would you cover us up? Because they're going to try to get us. If they catch us, they're going to kill us. And the, and the woman, the prostitute, says, yeah, I'll help you. And she covers them up. And they come, hey, did you see those two men? And what did the prostitute say? Oh, uh, no. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, they came by here. But, boy, they left a long time ago. You're not going to find them this way. They went that way. Was that a lie? Yeah, it was a lie. Was it a lie for the purposes of somebody else, not yourself? It was a lie. And it was the right thing to do. This is where it gets a little bit scrambled. At what point can a lie be a good lie? It doesn't sound like those two words ought to go together. But it does. Sometimes it's referred to see the thing. A lie is called the lie of necessity. The lie of necessity is saying, okay, it's something that has to be done. Let me give you an example here in the story of Joshua. Many of you are familiar with the story. The story is 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is on the run. His friend, his best friend Jonathan is going. They, in the passage previously in chapter 20, they had just been together, just vowed that they were going to stay friends together, but he needed to leave and go quick. And so what happened, let me read the passage for you real quick. If you have your passage, you can look it if you want, but I can read it. It's chapter 21. So it said, David left to chapter 21. Let's listen to this passage. David from there went to Ahimelech. Ahimelech is a guy, it's the first time we hear about him in the Old Testament. He was the priest at Nob. Nob was about four miles from Gibeah, if that helps you in any way. But anyways, that's where it was. But Ahimelech, it says, uh, David went to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David. He had good reasons to be afraid. Normally, if David was going somewhere, he had his friends and the people with him, the other soldiers, but he comes by himself. David is absolutely you know, scared like crazy because he knows the crazy guy who's there, Saul, is getting weird and he's getting all the more crazy and he's doing all he can to destroy David. And so David's got to deal with this. So David went to Ahimelech, the priest of Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David, so he said to them, why are you alone? And no one is with you. Like, why are you by yourself? You'd normally be covered by all your men and all the guys that protect you. Where are they? Why are you by yourself? David answered Ahimelech, the, the priest, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm adding this part. This is not in the Bible. I'm just helping you with it. He said, uh, well, well, he said to him, uh, he said, well, you, well, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission that I'm sending you on and I've ordered you to do. Uh, I've stationed my young men at a certain place. He doesn't name where that is. He goes and he says, now what do you have in your hand? Give me five loaves of bread to whatever can be found. The priest, this is the guy here that goes at Nob, Ahimelech, said, I swear that when, excuse me, he said, there is no ordinary bread here. In other words, only the bread that had been consecrated that was changed every week along uh, at the Sabbath. And he said to him, now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there's no ordinary bread. However, there is the consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they've kept themselves from women. That's another story. We'll go on from there. David answered, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out in battle, which is also right there a lie. He usually goes out with a bunch of guys. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission, so of course these bodies are consecrated today. 
So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, which he's not supposed to do, obviously. He ate the, the bread. For there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, the same they're talking about, that kind of bread, that had been removed from before the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. And if we'll go on, we can stop from there. But the point is, he said all this, and it was a pure lie. It was an absolute lie. Now, the question was, was David right or wrong in what he just did? For one thing, he was by himself, which is not normal. But it also raises this issue of saying, wait a minute, David, isn't he the one that was anointed as going to be ultimately the king of Israel? Isn't he the king that's going to be the one who's going to redeem Israel? And he said, but isn't he lying by doing that? Yeah, he is. But again, this probably goes to that issue saying, I'm not doing this just for myself, but for my people. Because the guy who's against me, Saul, is crazy. And he's doing all he can to kill me. Is he right or is he wrong in what he did? I would say he did what was right. Him be continuing on in life was important. But he was willing to lie. I'm not trying to make it unclear we have to recognize when we talk about a lie, a lie can have some different aptitudes to it. When you look at it and say, I don't know, what kind of lie is that? Am I doing this for myself or am I doing it for the needs of others? In that case, there are probably times when we ought to lie, we need to lie. Not for us, but to do what's right, particularly for the names of others. One more thing, the third one. This is the one that's often considered the hurtful lie, and it often goes with the word called gossip. It's not absolutely close to it is, but it's close enough because what often happens when we've got something like this, when a person is speaking and telling something, and it's so easy when people get together that sometimes we start telling a, a story that turns into a lie. You didn't plan to do that, but the more you talk about it, the more the story gets better. Remember the story about whisper down the line? Remember what happens? It's a little story, gets bigger, 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 until you go, you can hardly recognize it. He's saying that started with a little lie that's now becoming a big lie. And often gossip is a big part of it. For example, Jesus put it this way. Like I said, there's not a lot in the New Testament on this, but enough. Jesus put it this way. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one, Jesus said. In other words, saying, you've got to be very, very careful with this. If you said yes, you're going to do that, you keep that promise. Jesus makes that clear. You go to the book of Ephesians. Paul loved to use that idea about the old man and the new man. You are the old man through Christ and baptism and coming to faith in Christ. You are now no longer the old man. You're the new man. He loves that kind of dichotomy there. And he talks about since you put away lying, he said, speak the truth, each one of you to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. He's particularly talking about the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters that are together saying, if there's one group you ought to make sure that you're not lying to is the people that are in your congregation, the people that you know, the people that you care. We know it happens a lot. We know it happens in the world. But at least for us as Christians, the one thing we can do is tell the truth, even when that truth can be painful. Even when we have to say things to people that we wish we didn't have to say, but we need to say it because somebody needs to speak up. 
And what he's saying in this passage is, you've got to be careful here. Since you're putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. In this passage, Abram Kuyper put it this way, why is it there's so much gossip? He said, gossip is, gossip is the spice needed to enhance the otherwise dull lives. In other words, you've got nothing else to do. Let's just cackle a little bit, talk a little bit. The story will get bigger and probably worse. I thought this was interesting. Here's one galloping gossip. I really shouldn't be telling you this, but... Now, none of you in this course of group have never done this, but there are other people outside of this group who have done that. I really shouldn't be telling you this. That one's bad. This one is worse. I'm only telling this so you can pray effectively. Doesn't that sound godly? I'm only do this because I know you'd want to know all the information so I could be in my prayer closet spending more time praying for this poor soul. And then what's going on? One person tells another, one tells the other, and you have this web of people talking about things. It's getting worse and worse as it goes until it's like almost unbelievable. I'm only telling you this so you can pray more effectively. Really? Do you really believe that? No. Look at this, if you would. Martin Luther put it this way. Reputation is something quickly stolen but not return quickly. When somebody's reputation because of something you said, that's something that can, only, can be taken away very quickly. But does it come back? Not easily. Because we all like to go, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And what's made it even worse in our culture now is the good old internet. All you need is one person who's mad at something, who doesn't like something, and they put a tweet out that they only thought was maybe going to go to 10 people, but that person started sending out because they liked it too. So now it's that web of growing bigger, bigger, and bigger, and you keep going until finally it's going viral all over the country, and then you look back and go, oh my gosh, why did I say that stupid thing? And forgive me for all the lawyers that are here, but you find yourself in with the lawyers saying, guess what, that was the stupidest thing you ever did because there's all these people that are mad at you and who are going to try to do something to get you about it. And it's interesting, you're one tweet away from the lawyer when you start sending tweets out to other people. And when people take it and they go with it, and it goes and it goes and it goes. Think about it. The next time you send a tweet, next time you send an email, think about who is this going to? Who could it possibly go to? Do I want that to be out to everybody on the internet? There's nothing new in terms of the internet. It's all there. Unfortunately, they know much more about us than we ever thought they knew about us. And you better be careful if you've got your name on something like that because it has huge repercussions in the lives of people and upon yourself. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that it reminds us again how out of our mouth we can get ourselves in such trouble, that we can get ourselves into such issues because of the fact that we keep talking and then we don't tell the truth. It can be like a cancer that just seems to take and eat away at our lives. 
Help us, Lord, to be the men and women that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name.